Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision. Some may say a special edition of Tunnel Vision. We're coming to you live from early signing day, early signing period. Um, it's an exciting day. And it's an exciting day because we will have Gerard Martinez live in studio. Keyword will. <laughs> he was in his recruiting cave today. He was a little <laughs> too far back in the cave. He's getting here from the the treacherous journey he has from the Inland Empire. But he'll be here soonish, I believe. Uh, but I'm Keely Orr. Joining alongside Chris Trevino, Ryan Abraham. It's been a whirlwind of a day. Signing days usually are a whirlwind, as you can tell by Chris's face right now. <laughs> how are you guys doing? How was your summation of the day? How, how do you think it went? I think it was pretty good. I'll give Chris a chance to catch his breath. <laughs> uh, we're going to have Shock and Spratling here in a minute, too. Um, so, yeah, we'll have all of us. We'll kind of swap in and out. But It's a rotation. Yeah, yeah, it's different. So this is the second time they've had the early signing period. Last year, USC only got... Signed 10 guys that kind of were doing it as a as what we thought the early signing period would be. But the rest of the country, it's pretty much become national signing day. Like, this is the day where everyone signs. Like I told Keely this morning, I woke up and the first tweet I saw, I think it was from Anna Hickey, who covers Clemson for us for 24-7 sports. She said, Clemson signed all 25 guys, except there was like a receiver from California that hadn't signed. They probably hadn't been up yet. But like <laughs> as I was up at like 6.30 in the morning, they had already signed everybody. And so wow. most, of the, most of the way... You're signing the majority of the guys now. Maybe on the West Coast it's a little less, but it's a it's a big thing, especially in you know the SEC country, the Southeast and stuff like that. So big day. It's kind of weird to have signing day in December, like a few days before Christmas, while bowls are going on and you know coaches are doing a lot of things, usually coaching rotation. So it's a little bit different this early signing period. We're just we're kind of getting used to it, I guess. It definitely felt like last year. No one really knew what to expect the first time around. We didn't know how prepared we should be or should, it was going to be more relaxed. But it was pretty upbeat and it was like, oh, this is like going to be a, a real thing now. I felt like this year we were a lot more prepared, but also it's signing day. So lots of crazy things happen. So. <laughs> crazy things. I feel like at some point this is just going to be the signing day. Can you have fanfare yeah. two days in a row? It kind of is. Speaking of fanfare. <laughs> yeah. The straggler comes in, Mr. Shotgun Spratling, walk of shame. <laughs> Don't know where he's going right now. Um, but second day, Shotgun, speaking of Shotgun, has always said on the Family Feud podcast, plug, that eventually this day will become the day uh, for signings. I, it's, it's not eventually, it's now. Like, what, what other day? Like, for USC last year, and Clay Hilton brought this up in his press conference. We'll talk about what he said and stuff a yeah. little bit, too. Um, you know, last year they signed some big names on signing day, right? I mean, you got the Amon Ross St. Browns and Isaac Taylor Stewart and Elijah Griffin and uh, was it JT Daniels, I guess, you know, so, like there were some big names. The problem is that there's not that many big names left. Now for USC, probably like the three biggest unsigned names in the state are still out there and USC's got a really good shot at all of them, but it's, there's just not, it's the, the regular signing day in February where you close strong there's just not going to be that many guys available. And they wanted to get a bigger class. I know Gerard Martinez said between like 26 and 29 guys. Now, if you look at Eric Ziskin, you know, he's the director of like player personnel for USC. He tweets out the fight on emojis. He just tweeted out like, you know, half hour ago or something. It's 20th. So there's uh, 19 guys. So USC announced 18 guys. There's a punter from Australia, a 27-year-old that sent in his fax yesterday. I don't know why they haven't announced that, but the 20th apparently came in too. Um, there's still a couple of USC commits that haven't signed yet. So there's some some stuff going on, but it, you expect a big class, but there's just not that many guys really available after. Most of the guys are signing this first couple of days. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's how it works for kind of the big programs because they want to get all their kids in. You know, for the smaller programs, it's like, all right, what are the leftovers we can have for the February signing period? But like for the the big guys like Oregon and well, for this class and then USC, they want to get as many people as they can in right now and then just kind of focus down the line what they could finish with in February. I just want to do a roundup of what we're going to talk about today. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. Early signing day, of course. Gerard Martinez will be here. We'll answer your questions for Gerard, his debut on Television. That's going to be fun. Um, we're, we're going to talk about how good is this class? What can we really tell from this class so far? We're halfway through. Uh, Clay Halton made sure to remind reporters. We're only halfway through the cycle, so well, there's still development. And, but look who we got in the middle now. Shotgun Spratling, the magic He's of TV. He's here. What's up, guys? He is here. Shotgun, your takeaways from this first wave of signees. 18 signees. Nine will be uh, spring early enrollees, and then nine will be uh, fall enrollees. Big to get nine guys in, you know, as soon as you can. You might even add another guy or two. I mean, if Brew McCoy, he's going to be an early enrollee. If he chooses USC, he's another guy. So that's 10 guys because you're losing a lot of guys on, on that defense in particular. So getting some of those guys in early is, is, is good. The fact that they have 18 guys, they signed 19 last year. I yeah. believe is the total number they had last year. So it tells you how much bigger this class is going to be than last year. And I think also you're seeing, and I talked a little bit with Clay Helton after the press conference about, you know, he talked in, in the press conference about how it seems like in the West, players are a little bit more hesitant to, to go for that early signing. They don't have to. There's not as much pressure, I guess. You know, when you're on the East Coast and you're in, you know, you're in Georgia, you're in Florida, there might be 30 schools coming around every day to try to come and see you because there's so much talent, you know, concentrated in those areas. And there's so many more schools in those areas. So you have the Northeast schools coming down. You have, you know, all the SEC schools, the ACC schools. Whereas Clay Helton pointed out, he's like, out here, if you're looking at Pac-12 teams, well, there's only one conference. The, all the, the other conference, power conferences are 1,500 miles away. So it makes it a little bit more difficult, a little bit more easy. I mean, a little bit less pressure, I guess, on those, those kids to sign. So you see some of those. And last year in particular, there were a lot of, you know, those big-name guys USC picked up late. He's hoping they can do the same thing this year. And you see there's still some guys out there. you got, you know, two five-star guys in Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford. you also got Chris Steele. Uh, you know, there's a big, big gap in between where a lot of the guys that are available that are still unsigned are. Yeah. You see, a, you know, there's a, a collection of guys to, nor that, towards that top. And you got to go down to about the, you know, there's a guy scattered in there every once in a while. But you go down to about 95th in the state, <laughs> and then it opens up again. It's like, yeah. okay, well, these guys aren't getting si haven't signed yet. Those are kind of your fringe guys that are looking to see, you know, am I going to get that, that little bit bigger offer? Can I go from the Mountain West to a Pac-12? You know, I, th I think that's what you're seeing. And I, I think you're seeing how the early signing day is kind of taking over and you know how it's still a little bit different than the February date was when it was the main day. Yeah, there's some. it's, it's definitely a little bit different. And, uh, but there's just not – we talked about this a little earlier. There's not that many guys left. Like there's three big guys that USC is probably favorites – you know, or, or up there for all three of them. And you put a lot of pressure on just getting those three guys. Like, that's yeah. what you have to focus on. If you get all three, it's like top 15 class, I think. It might even, it could get close to a top 10. But you're not going to be able to add anyone else out that's not, like, in the top 100 in California. They'll, they'll add a few more bodies, but they're going to be, you know, three-star guys. It might take a little while to develop. There's three big impact guys. And right now, no five stars, and that's that's never happened since we've covered recruiting. There's never, they've never. So, probably, you know, Bruce McCoy looks like you know, pretty good chance of getting him. And Kyle Ford, I like a lot. So you could end up with two five star guys, but this is a lot of three star guys right now. USC's ranked 21st 
in the nation, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite Ranking, fourth in the Pac-12. And I went through all the classes. We got data back to 2002 for the composite rankings. USC's never finished not one or two in the Pac-12. Only one or two. It's only been two a couple of times. It's usually one. So four is like foreign territory. Never been outside of the top 13. Uh, they were 13th in 2013, which is the year that Lane Kiffin went seven and six, and they had the number one recruited class, and it turned to crap. But they still signed four five-star guys and eight four-star guys. Of tw they only had 12 guys. That's why it was ranked so low. But otherwise, that the 10 is like the lowest that you're going to go. So to be 21st, that's a, you know, a little bit concerned. This is a different kind of class. It's going to be bigger. There'll be a lot of bodies. And it can get in that top 15 range if you sign those three guys. If you don't, you might be like a number 16, 17, 18, like something we've never seen from USC before. Yeah, this, this class reminds me a little bit more of one of those early Lane Kiffin classes where you're right. bringing in a Dallas Kelly and a Jeremy Galton and guys that are – is that guy going to play for you, or is he probably going to be filler? You know, because you wanted to bump that roster up because you knew sanctions were coming. Right. You know, it feels like USC is like we got to add numbers because we, we've lost a lot. You know, especially in certain areas like the defensive back. You know, there's just not bodies there right now. So if you have you know a spate of injuries like you did this year, you're pretty much SOL. You know, you're not going to have anybody out there that, that can play. You're going to have. You know, Jordan McMillan did a good job in his limited time. But if Jordan McMillan, if you have a walk-on, not, not to say him, but you have any walk-on out there for an extended period of time, coach is going to go, okay, that's the guy we want to attack. Let's design certain things to go after this one one particular guy. You saw it when Mike Leach, when, you know, uh, Clancy Pendergrass tried to put in Matt Lopes as a linebacker, try to use him, you know, try to spread the field, get more versatile guys out there. He went straight at him, ran at him three or four times in a row until Clancy Pendergrass had to say, okay, we got to change that up. But that's what's going to happen. You know, your walk-ons are usually a walk-on for a reason. They usually can be good players, but a lot of times they're undersized. So, hey, you go at them with, with physicality. Or they're a little bit – they're a step slower than, than the uh, scholarship guys. So, hey, you go at them with speed. You know, that's what you would do. You would attack things. So, if USC had, had doesn't fill in certain areas, they could be in trouble, you know, and, and leave themselves vulnerable, vulnerable to that. I saw a graphic earlier uh, to talk about the, the difference in – Two years ago, you know, obviously when there was no early signing period, but even last year, you know, there's still, I think it was somewhere 75 to 80 percent of guys signed. This year you have five five stars remaining and 24 remaining top two four top two four seven prospects. So I don't know the gra the validity of that graphic, if it's been updated, if anybody signed later or anything, but if that is the as that's the correct numbers, you basically have 10% of your top 247 guys are available. Right. So that puts you in a real bind if you... So that means 90% of the top guys in the country have signed. Yeah. Wow. Which is why, a, you know, the the flip of, of Benton, uh, I think is the name, the, the kid from Washington State that they, they got to flip, I think that's big because normally you might be like, eh, is that a really... But that's a, a position of need. You go out and get it now because is there going to be guys left? If right. he signs today, you're, you're left with who? Uh, and maybe even if you said, hey, just just push it back and wait. No, you got him to flip. You got him to sign now. He's in your class. So now you can still go out and maybe try to get another defense tackle if you really want one. But, you know, that that fills your need. And now you can go and try to try to bo bolster what you have already. Yeah. So, like I said, this is the first round of the signing period. But you said there's only a couple guys really left to bolster this class. How should fans really think about this class. I know from the comments alone, people are not too high about what this class looks like just based on rankings alone. What do you think, Chris? Thoughts on that? 
I mean, I was thinking about this on the drive over. You look at the class, I would say pretty decent. I yeah. mean, but that's not a, a, a phrase people want to hear. <laughs> USC, pretty decent. Yeah. But if you look at the context of what USC went through this year, a 5 seven season, uh, Clay Helton having to spin a lot of plates to hire new coaches and kind of fight off his the job security stuff. So there's some guys in this class. I think there's some underrated guys in this class. I mean, I really like the safety they pulled out of, of Florida, Britton Allen. I really like that pickup. I like some other guys in this class. But I think there's a bunch of guys a couple years from now that USC fans would be like, that was a pretty good pickup a couple years ago. Just yeah, you hope that there's there's a lot of three stars, right? Um, you hope there's a bunch of Uchenna and Wusus in there. But I think you, you said it right. It's like, it's, it's a pretty good class. Like it's But it's like, that's not what USC has really been about getting the best class and maybe not using it that well. You know, like that, this has got to be the opposite. This is like, get a bunch of guys, maybe not as good of a class, but you want to develop these guys and, and get some guys that can, you know, maybe play right away. And there's, there's some, there's not, it's not a strong group of offensive linemen, I guess you'd say on the, on the West coast this year. I mean, there wasn't as many, like, there wasn't a whole bunch of Isaac Taylor Stewart's or Elijah Griffins and stuff that you could get like they did last year. But so that makes a guy like Chris Steele from St. John Bosco, all that more important. You got to try to get him. He was committed at one point, um, you know, you know, losing some of the guys that they lost to, to Oregon, who, you know, they have the num number one class in the Pac-12 right now, and I think they're number five class overall. There's just a couple of those guys that if you're not five and seven, you might get them. If you didn't have some of the turmoil with the coaching staff, you might have got them. But they still needed to bring a lot of people in, and I think they've done a, a pretty good job. Uh, you don't need to survive. You don't need five stars every year, but that's that's pretty much what USC has been been living on. So it's going to be, you're going to be living a little differently. You're going to eat in a little, your menu, the menu you're going to look at, you're selecting from is a little bit different than what we've seen in other years. Got Chef Boyardee ravioli instead of <laughs> fine dining ravioli. Is that what we're talking about? Good analogies. We made it, we made it like 20 minutes yeah. in and we These got These aren't handmade little ravioli's. You might have a little bit of Chef Boyardee, but you know, that's pretty good. I like Chef Boyardee. Now the thing I'm seeing a lot in the comments right now are people, some people are saying stars don't matter. Some people are saying it's all just about development. And I think the real key here is you need both. It's yeah. both. You Talent always helps, but development also is important. And I think you've seen uh, just talent at USC for a while. And now this is a, a turn of the tide where you really need development. And so it's interesting. Dan and I, we've just posted this analysis. We talked about, like, this is different for USC fans. This is a different type of swing for USC. Like, th these are guys you need to develop. These are, you're not in the top class. Like, things that USC fans aren't necessarily really used to around this time of year. Yeah. I mean, start, the fact that stars don't matter is just stupid. Like, stop <laughs> saying that. That's dumb. Um, I mean, look at the guys who've been drafted for USC. Like, I mean, like, where would you be without Juju Smith or uh, Miss Schuster or Dory Jeff? I mean, that was, that was one signing day. Like, those two guys come in. Like, you lose a bunch of games if you don't get guys like that. Now, you want to be able to develop guys, too. But when you're not doing that that well, you're almost relying on those guys that come in that are super highly talented because you you know they're really good, you know? And I think there's a lot less five-star busts than we're seeing now than what we saw, you know, when we were doing this 10 years ago. I've been doing recruiting for a long time. I mean, like, we the, the classes that we have ranked on the 24-7 composite went back with, like, Rivals, Scout, ESPN, all that together. Really, 2002 is, like, the first year we still have a lot of good data. That's some, there's data from, like, 99 on, but... It's not that great, but there's, all the guys are counted from 2002 on. So you can kind of compare and contrast. And it's just, this is just the way USC's recruited. So it's a different, you're, you're branching off and doing things a little bit differently. But of course, evaluation is important. It's not just about 
the stars. You want to find the guys you like and making sure you develop them. They got to get better. Like, how, you know, you can get a guy, you know, Juju Smith was great. He played when he was 17 years old until like November of his freshman year, you know. That guy's pretty freaking good, you know, but it's hard to get guys like that. So you want to get someone that's you can develop too. Yeah, and I've got I've got some questions about this this group. I mean, some of your better rated players, I mean, currently they have I'm not sure how many four stars it is overall, something like six or seven. Um, it's, uh... Two of those guys, though, are coming off ACL injuries. Yeah. So two of your better players. Now, granted, you've got Jordan Wilmore and Puka Nakua, who are both committed as well. And if they sign, that's two more four stars. If you get some other guys, like we talked about, you get you add some more. But right now, the guys that are currently signed, two of your best six or seven are injured and probably won't be available at all for you next year. Uh, and then you look at some other guys. Now, some of the guys I thought should probably be four stars and three stars. Like a Raylan Goldforth, I've loved that kid every time I've seen him. He's been my, one of my favorite players ever since uh, Trent Dilfer got PO'd at him in Elite 11 because he was actually playing and playing hard. And you go, well, you, we're just putting routes out here. Trent Dilfer, get, get the hell out of here. Yeah. No, the kid's going to play. They got a defender out there. He's yeah. going to defend. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I like that kid a, a lot. And I think Keenan Kristen is going to be really good in this offense because this is the matchup offense now with Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's a guy that gets, He's a speed running back yeah. from San Diego. Yeah. You get him out in open space, and I think that's what you're going to do. You're going to spread the field. You're going to get your guys one-on-one matchups, speed kills in those type of offenses. Uh, so I think he can be good. You know, Tafua I, I thought was was really good. Now, the question with him is where you play him. That's kind of a concern. But there's some other guys you're just like, oh, okay, okay. And you see those in every class, but there seems to be about twice as many right now in this class. Now, part of it is that you have a much larger class, so the guys that are available, we just talked about, there's the big hole in between who's available for the January, you know, early enrollees, you know, the guys that will commit at the Army game in the early enrollee or in February are the very high-end guys or guys that are fringe, you know, that are kind of your Mountain West versus Big 12, you know, where they kind of fall in. So uh, the problem is there's not that, that – if you don't get those guys at the top, there's no filler to go. You can't push up, boost up anybody. So, you know, there's some guys at the bottom that, hey, and it's filling needs. You need that. But when you hit attrition, you lose a couple more guys because you do that every – so a guy like – I'm concerned about a guy like Britton Allen because what's happened to USC's DBs from Florida? I know. Chris just said earlier before he got here he likes Britton Allen. So I know. No, I was here for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so he can like him, but what's happened with the guys? They all transfer out. They, yeah. So unless he's getting early playing time, and hey, maybe there is, but you know, there's also Isaiah Polamau and, and Talanoa Hufunga in front of him at the safety spots. You know, if he makes it in the nickel, maybe. But if he's not getting early playing time, does he go the the way of Lamont Simmons? Does he go? You know, who is now at Georgia Tech, which is ironic since you know he flipped from Georgia Tech. Yes. Uh, or Jamel Cook, or some of those guys like that. So, you know, I have concerns when you go way out of state and get a guy that's uh, ranked a little bit lower. Uh, if he doesn't get playing time early, then a lot of times that can end up with a guy going back home. A guy like Jacob Lichtenstein was a three-star, and he came on really strong at towards the end of this year, so he might be a guy that did this. But you got to find those right guys. you got to find the character. I mean, that's the first thing Clay Helton said. This this class has character. This class has skills. This class. He listed off all the things, but... Did they find the right guys? We won't really know for two years, but uh, you know I've still got some concerns with it. You know there are a lot of three stars in there. I'm not that much of a concern about it, but is there enough talent to get guys early on the field and then you know keep them around? I don't know. Um, who was the most surprising pickup for you guys? And surprising could be good or bad. 
I mean, Dayon Benton, obviously, to me, or Dejan, I'm not sure. Dejan, I, I believe. I think, yeah, so he switched at the, so he's a Northern California kid that switched from Washington State. They got him a, you know, last minute sort of thing. Yeah, that was, I mean, he's kind of flew under the radar as far as the interest there, but also USC really hasn't recruited Northern California much recently. I mean, yeah, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, There's they, nobody else in this class as far as I know off the top of my head. I mean, they were looking at guys like Isaiah Rutherford and, uh, La- say it for me. What he said. Layatu, uh, <laughs> Latu. Uh, so there were guys they were looking at, they didn't get any of those guys. They were looking at Hamuli and they were looking at, uh, Tristan Sinclair, but they, weren't closing any of those guys. Yeah, so it was a little bit surprising that a guy that wasn't even being talked about is a guy that ended up flipping from Norcal. Yeah, the last, if you remember, the last signing day flip from Washington State was Deontay Burnett. That was a pretty good one. Uh, he ended up blue shirting, but uh, came in and uh, had a pretty good career at USC. An important note, uh, Clay Helton did say that four of these signees count towards last year, I believe. So, did um, he specify that? Yes, yeah. he did. He so did that, I mean, who? that would mean up to, you could sign up to 29 because there's no... I, we do our scholarship chart. I'm updating it for 2019. There was no blue shirts, I believe, that were counting ahead. So that's over. So now you're back to regular recruiting, where we were talking, your blue shirts were like borrowing from the future. So it was more like a credit card thing. And then, uh, you know, counting backwards is what they could do now is more like, you know, pull it into your savings, out of your savings account or something. So this is what you can do. If you didn't sign, you know, a full class the previous year, you can do that uh, the next year. So well, I think we have... a. Uh, is we, like Gerard here? We, Chris can step he out needs, for a he's so special. He needs a, a carrier to get him. It's not easy to find this place, and you know, it, you know, it's his first VIP guest. VIP guest. VIP treatment. But yeah, so like, so you're talking. I didn't realize he said that in the press conference. But if he's saying that, could, you know, four of them will yeah. count towards last year, that means you had signed like 21 or whatever last year. So they, there's four extra rides, and you can count those backwards. So guys, that you know, there's nine guys that are going to be enrolling early. So if they had more rides, they could have, you know, counted more backwards. But that means that, if, you know, you could still have 25 more after those four. So you could sign a total of, of 29 if you wanted to. So um, potentially 11 more to go in this class. Yeah. So well, they're saying 18. So we, you know, we, we're counting 19 um, because of the uh, Australian punter. What's his name? It's uh, oh, Ben Griffiths. Griffiths. Ben Griffiths. Yeah. So he's like, what did he play? Rugby or was it like uh, Australian rules football? Okay. Yeah. yeah. But he was like a star. Like he was like really good. Seven yeah. years in the league. Yeah. Yeah. He was like he's got profiles on pages and stuff. Like if you Google second it. Second round profile. pick. He had some concussion issues. Yeah. I, I when we forgot about him a little bit because hadn't really been talked about. So I went down the the wormhole and. Gerard and then, said that a new rule is that we don't talk about recruits that are older than me. So, because <laughs> he's 27 years old, which is crazy. Yeah, he's 27 years old. But they went through the uh, I think it's called Pro Australia or Pro Kick Australia is the program, which has been been producing a lot of really good punters. Consider before this year. So this year, a Texas A&M punter uh, won the Ray Guy Award, which is given to the the best punter in the league. The last five winners. All from this program. All Australian guys from this program, including Mitch Wisnowski and uh, Tom Hackett. Both of those guys uh, were from this program, went to Utah. There's actually, in this program this year, along with Griffiths, is a guy going to Utah as well. So they actually, there was a a video, I think, on ESPN where they they were going to watch the game together, talking about their experience and how they've trained for everything. They're going to watch this year's game for it and drink a couple beers while they're having it. So it was interesting just to hear... You know, a recruit talking about drinking beers 
But <laughs> it's okay because he's 27 years old. He's 27. He probably years. wanted to drink a lot of beers after watching that yeah. USC Utah game. Speaking so, of a 27 year old. <laughs> well, some people are asking us too uh, why is he not in the database? And apparently, because. There's not like a high school that we, there's no like school we can attach him to. So it's hard for 24-7 to put him in there. So he's not in there. And I don't know why he wasn't announced by USC. There might be some sort of compliance thing or something. So he is actually a transfer student. So Uh, because he went to school nine years ago and went to high school, finished up high school nine years ago, he said his grades were not in order, you know, coming out straight out of high school because he was going straight to the pros in the Aussie leagues. Uh, But he... What went to had basically a, a semester and a half of classes, a couple of credits, so that he would be able to transfer into USC. So who knows if there's something that was an issue there? Uh, but he was in uh, a school in Melbourne, I believe. But again, we don't have that in the database, so we couldn't couldn't transfer yeah. him over. But he was faxed. It was faxed in. So Eric Ziskin, like we mentioned, you know, had 19 fight on emojis. So that would be the ni- he was 19th, and he he tweeted that yesterday. So the only person that could have faxed in or or sent it, not faxed, but sent in there. You don't have to fax them anymore. You can actually send a, you know, can take well, a screenshot. The digital or age, yeah. right? Yeah, Al- actually, Alabama Compliance tweeted out this was the first year that no one sent in a fax. It was all uh, digitally what? sent in. So this was the first time. So Crazy. They, so maybe no more fax. I don't know if USC had any faxes or some faxes or whatever, but he did send it. You know, that's the only person that was eligible to send it in because it's on Australia time. Uh, but then Ziskin did tweet another one, so there might be another signee. I don't know if you saw 20. Oh, yeah, I saw 20 on the way 20 over. 20 on the way over here, so. Uh, I do think it's interesting that all eyes are on a grown man tweeting emojis, but, you know, whatever works. <laughs> whatever gets the hype machine up. I just... Yeah. Well, that's to say that anyone that works in a football program is a grown man. You just run a, a game all day, so. That's yeah. true. Really I was just man? taking stock of what, what we do, you know. <laughs> Speaking of what we do, we need to usher in someone else who's very good. Are we, we going to usher him this. in or are we going to? Yeah, we're ushering him in. Okay, we'll just do that. <laughs> no. Look at him. Making He's his there. debut on Tunnel Vision. I have made it. All Gerard the Martinez. The Inland Empire. He's here. I did. I made it. Traffic was not kind to me. Traffic was not kind to you, even on the train or a bus. I don't know. Where you, yeah, there was something just completely stopped in the road. There was like a, I they expected it to crash, but then the, the tow truck pulls away with nothing on it. So I was like, what in the world was going on here? But that's just, you know, that's beach cities for you. They just cause traffic jams for no reason. Yeah, I mean, it usually takes me about an hour and a half to get down here, and it took me almost two hours and a half, which, you know. Whoa. Crazy. Well, Gerard, we're very glad to have you on yeah. the show. Thank you for having me. Especially on a day like today, because this is your wheelhouse. This is the Gerard day. <laughs> yes. Early, <laughs> earlier than uh, it has been in, in previous years. And last year was our first feel for the early signing day. And this year was sort of the same. It was uh, not just who's going where, but who is actually going to sign before we even get to figure out where they're going. So there was a little bit of that last minute. We had a few different guys because, you know, we were trying to get videos together and get everything together for you guys. And so Chris Rowland, sort of life, last minute, uh, Manitoba uh, Tufono was sort of kind of on the fence a little bit about uh, signing early and decided to, to go ahead and do it. Um, I don't know why he wouldn't. He talked a little bit about Texas and LSU still being in the recruiting process for him. Um, but so, yeah, USC uh, gets uh, 19, counting, like you said, the punter, Ben Griffins. And uh, USC fans not real happy. With the the results, the I comments think. aren't aren't great. They're right not now. great. Yeah, I saw a little bit of that. Um, when was the last time USC fans were happy though? They were happy last signing day. They weren't too bad. They they I think the close with the defensive back class they were they yeah. were very happy with. Um, I think you know this was was not the greatest class. Um, and that's probably an understatement, but it sure, certainly wasn't disastrous. I think you know some fans kind of take that knee knee jerk reaction and go. 
you know, the pendulum goes all the way to the right yeah. or goes all the way to the left. It's the worst you know, class ever. Yeah, we're going to be world champions ten times in a row or we're just never going to win another game ever. And so uh, I think if they would have lost out on Drake Jackson, which I actually predicted, um, it would have been bad. <laughs> that that would have been close to disastrous. You know, I think being able to get him and make sure that he got signed because there was a point where he was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm maybe going to commit to USC but not actually sign. And he actually signed, and that was really big. 6'4", 265. Uh, at a Corona Centennial High School defensive end that really, I think, grows into a three technique. And this was the interesting thing about his recruitment. We heard a little bit from uh, his folks and some sources behind the scenes. And when Kenichi Odizi left, Johnny Nansen sort of took over his recruitment. Johnny Nansen recruits and coaches the outside linebackers for USC. So you're talking about the predator position. You're talking about the sand position. And so he sort of naturally started talking about Drake Jackson playing outside linebacker and playing that predator position. Now, Drake Jackson's never really played stand-up linebacker, at least not at Centennial. In the last couple of years, we've seen him play. He's more of a down rushman, uh, a five technique or a seven technique. Sometimes he does play inside as a three technique when they go into their nickel sub packages at Corona Centennial. Um, but we started to hear that, you know, he got, he, he liked that idea, but then he started talking about it with his family and then other schools started to pick up on it and they're going, you're 270 pounds, you're not going to play outside linebacker. And I think that caused a little bit of a rift between he and USC and, and a little bit of a trust issue between he and USC, between what they were telling him playing outside linebacker and I guess what he felt maybe was his realistic position in college. And so I expect him, just having watched him, I think he's playing down uh, defensive lineman. I think he's playing on the interior. Uh, or in, in USC's you know, case, they play that, that kind of 4-2-5 four, four, uh, type of deal. I think he plays in the interior. Um, if they went to a, more of a four-man front, I could see them putting him outside and being like a strong side defensive end. But this is a guy that I think has got a lot of uh, similarities maybe Lawrence Jackson. Um, and, and could be really, really big-time player for them, and they need those type of guys. That, that would have been, like I said, a really huge loss. and Because uh, he could have went to ASU, right? Yeah. ASU had a really good class, too, they put together. Got good quarterbacks. They, they've done really well recruiting with Antonio Pierce, who came from Long Beach Poly, recruiting Southern California. So to get Drake Jackson, I think it's a pretty big deal. It is a big deal. I, I think it's a, it's, it's a really big I mean, anytime you get quality defensive linemen on the West Coast, mm -hmm. That's a big deal because yeah. there's not always a lot of those guys. A lot of those guys are kind of projects that you have to grow. And he's a guy that can get on the field immediately and play. And I think he also helps you with Corey Foreman going forward, too. Yes. You know, who's going to be possibly even better than Drake Jackson. I think, he, you know, with another year, he's probably better. Do you not see him as a Christian Rector type, though? Because they use Rector in place of Port Augustine, and Rector is 275 and I, if he's 270. And I think that sort of was the pivot and sort of, well, you know, we do have a guy that's similar to you in terms of your physical build that does sort of play stand-up sometimes outside. It's, it's sort of that weird nickel Sam where they actually have the three down, down defensive linemen, and then they'll have the, the regular Sam linebacker. Yeah. So it's, it is a weird hybrid, and I can see totally, yeah, I can see him in that position as a, as a four-down defensive lineman um, or in that position, a three-down guy that was still still has his hand on the ground, though. I don't think you want him out there traditionally playing the curl route or the flat route uh, unless you're doing a zero blitz or something like that. He's just not that kind of guy that's a hybrid guy. And so, again, that was some, one of those things that I, you know, Drake Jackson, I think it was just completely up to him, would have gone to ASU. Uh, and, and that's kind of why I predicted it. I thought he was pretty solid on ASU, and mom was sort of maybe open to the idea, dad wanted him at USC. And I think at the end of the day, 
you know, dad sat down with the family and they went over sort of the outside football aspects of USC. And I think that's what really won over at the end of the day. It was it was the academics. It was the, the networking and everything that goes outside of football. I think they learned with Christian Richter, though, how to best use a guy that's in that same mold. Because and when, when Porter Gerson got, Gustin got hurt last year, they tried to use Christian Richter as a stand-up. They tried, like, hey, okay, we'll just basically yeah. fill in with, and you play the yeah. same position. And they realized that's not going to work. That was when he was struggling and, you know, losing that's leverage the, and stuff. And that's the thing. That's kind of, yeah. I mean, Christian so Rector was a guy, you know. And last year he sort of got lost a little bit. And it was like, what happened to Christian Rector? Where's going Christian Rector? Especially in the beginning of the season. Yeah, and I, I think that they decided, okay, we're going to keep you with your hand. Now, what they did a little bit different this year with Rector at times and early in the season uh, is they moved him inside. Yeah. When they went to their, you know, their pass rush uh, groupings, you know, on third and longs and stuff, they moved him inside to see what they could do there. So maybe that's a role Drake Jackson, because especially with the potential of, you know, four games still being a red shirt, you saw, you know, Hunter Eccles had a specific package for a while this season. Abdul Malik McClain came in, you know, used his couple of games in a specific package as a pass rusher. So I think that's how Drake Jackson can easily get on the field next year. We've seen in some of the summer camps them actually run a more traditional 4-3. So I don't know that that's out of the question in the future. Um, you know, you got a new defensive line coach there. Um, you, you've got some different packages that you can run, and they could decide, you know, we're going to go to more of a 4-3. Now, if you read the peristyle, Clancy Pendergast is on his way out, right? Isn't he? <laughs> how many times has he been fired already? Um, but, but Clancy himself has run 4-3s. He's run 34s. He's run more traditional even 34s. I don't think he's ever been really much of a two-gap guy, but I think everything's one gap, and you can definitely hybrid off of those two different uh, fronts. So, yeah, I think you could definitely use him. I think the one thing that was interesting is when they got Dijon Benton to flip from Washington State, I think that everybody kind of was trying to connect dots and going, uh-oh, that doesn't sound good for Trey Jackson if you're, yeah. if you're getting that guy. But I think that was just one of those things where they wanted – I think they just wanted to get more guys, more bodies in there on the defensive line. Um, Chad uh, Kawahaha, which is I'm getting used to saying that name. Um, he, he, I think he, you know, had, had recruited Benson to some extent. Uh, they were talking about Amiri uh, Johnson, also who committed to Arizona State and ends up signing with Arizona State, the 6'6", 335-pound defensive end from uh, Diamond Ranch High School. He was another guy that was sort of in there too. And I think these are guys that uh, Coach Kahaha were really recruiting and knew about and felt comfortable about, comfortable about and thought, okay, let's go with rotation. Because, you know, Detona Jackson ends up getting sort of pushed out of the class. And that was obviously a big deal. A lot of people kind of wanted to know what was going on. And I think that just had to be something with familiarity and, and them feeling like we had guys that we felt better with. Um, I guess we just have to figure out with John Benton kind of sort of what was the backstory there. Because the impression that I got from sources I talked to about uh, Detona Jackson was that he, he, his offer sort of came after the fact a little bit. And there was somebody already there that had that scholarship offer and had that ride and decided that they wanted to sign early and they didn't know that that guy was going to sign early. So we'll have to find out about that and see if that's how it all happened. But um, there was a lot of false rumors. I mean, Chris Trevino had picked up on a rumor that uh, you know, Detona Jackson had gone to Oregon and unofficially visited Oregon and made some, some type of comment uh, between the point of him being offered by USC and going on that trip to Oregon that UCLA had a better coaching staff or UCLA did a better job of coaching, which turned out to be completely erroneous. So, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on. That last 48 hours is crazy, and there's a lot of people yeah. saying a lot of things. 
I just want to do a friendly plug. If you're not subscribed, you can get a VIP podcast of Gerard doing this all the time. And it's yeah. great. All this info, just make sure you do that. But as far as Drake Jackson... And we got you, the two for... We got the buy one, get one free going until, until midnight. So buy one, get one like free. four hours one. left. So if you want to sign up to USCfootball.com, you can do that now. As far as Drake Jackson, when you have the parents and the, the player kind of not seeing exactly eye to eye on schools, do you, do you ever get concerned that if uh, it's always the player that's there and right. if he's not really as into it as maybe the dad is if things don't go his way are you kind of is he a transfer alert at down the road if things don't go his way no probably not but yeah you go back to i'll bring a throw a name out here for everybody whitney lewis now if you guys have been following along long enough this was i think before kitty was born um <laughs> class of 2003 chris was in the second LA. grade no uh, I was was that, that was like 2003 yeah that was a great class you had the reggie bush you had uh whitney lewis you had linda white you had all these different guys shock and spratling coming out of high school on that time yeah, <laughs> yeah. and lebron um, james you know actually that's I'm, I'm telling a lie that was after reggie bush i think it was a year after that was steve no, smith I, no i think whitney lewis was, was, was the same the, yeah was he was like ranked number two in the country and yeah and thousand yards rushing thousand yards passing at st bonaventure high school and that was back in the day when you know, Florida State was still a thing. You know, Florida State was still on top. They had gotten Lorenzo Booker a couple of years before that, Chris Ricks. And so Whitney Lewis wanted to go to Florida State. Like, he was all about Florida State. And his mom basically stepped in and said, no, you're going to USC. Like, USC is the private school, uh, the education. I want you close to home. And, you know, obviously things didn't work out for Whitney Lewis. But I think the issue with Whitney Lewis and the reason why his mom wanted to keep him home is that it was found out this kind of this summer of his junior year that he had severe dyslexia. And so she felt like, I don't want to just send him across the country with him having dyslexia. I want him to go to USC, get the right support. And it still didn't work out for him. But I think at the end of the day, that was probably the best move for him because she was looking out for his education and long term, what was best for him. And I, I don't know if, you know, they would have done it differently. If he goes to Florida State, would have been a big difference. I think with Drake Jackson, he doesn't have those type of issues. He's got his head on his shoulders. I think what, you know, his folks were looking at is the big picture. And obviously with Arizona State, it's not necessarily Cal or UCLA, and I don't want to, you know, denigrate Arizona State, but academically not on the same level as some of the other schools in the Pac-12, particularly USC and some of those other schools I mentioned. And I think that was the feeling you're picking the school because they they had a nice year this year and you like the coaches and you don't have that relationship with uh, Chad Kawaha. If Kenichi Odizi was kept on staff, that was a done deal. That was He and Ty Robinson were both in, done deal. Um, but obviously, with Kenichi Odizi being fired, that caused uh, a little bit of uncertainty because he just didn't have that relationship with the coaching staff. He liked Clay Helton. He liked the rest of the coaching staff, but he didn't know his position coach as well. And I think that was kind of what was pushing him a little more to Arizona State. His dad saw that and said, look, it, you know, those coaches at Arizona State could be gone next year. There's a lot of different things that can happen. You liked USC. You wanted to go to USC. Let's look at the big picture and look at the things outside of football. And I think ultimately that's why he just decided, you know, I'm going to go to USC. I'm going to stick with USC. It also helps that usually when the parents are saying, no, you, you, we should think this through, it's because they want them at the home school yeah. and they're mm -hmm. around. Right. And they also can help, you know, mend those ties. You know, it's not like dad sending you off to, to Michigan and saying, you know, you'll figure it out without there. No, if you're having issues, they'll work things through with you. You know, and you have that extra support uh, net there with you too. So I think that always helps. In that regard, yeah, and certainly it's not, it's not like Drake Jackson didn't want to go to USC. I yeah, mean, it, yeah. it, was, it was really, I think, just that gap between them hiring Chad Kawahaha and the leaving departure of Kenichi Odizi 
that just gave him sort of that opening where he started talking to other recruits and and obviously ASU did a great job and ASU is an interesting story because a lot of people thought you know Herm Edwards is going to be a complete catastrophe he hasn't been a complete catastrophe certainly and Ryan and I talked about this on the podcast not too long ago I think the, the really interesting schools to watch next year are going to be outside obviously USC for USC fans uh, Arizona State and Oregon because you lose those quarterbacks and you lose a lot of seniority sort of on those offenses you know how do they pivot that's where you got to do a good coaching job is the next year after you lose some of those leaders and those team leaders and so we're going to see how those teams do if Herbert leaves baby brother got signed today by Oregon so oh, maybe he stays yeah. never know as a reminder you get your questions in for the whole team and Gerard on YouTube and Periscope we're not on Facebook live so I'll fix that. Um, we have a question from John, actually, for you, Gerard. He says, which recruit are you most looking forward to seeing next year on the field? Well, I mean, of, of these guys that have signed early, yes. correct? Okay. Signees. Um, you know what? I tell you what. The guy that I sat down and watched, and, and I don't know if this is the most I'm most excited to see, but a guy that everybody should go check out is Britton Allen. Britton Allen was... <laughs> Wow. I think we got some video of him up there. Oh, wow. We need, like, a separate, like, dab cam of Chris. Yeah, dab cam here. for Chris. Uh, <laughs> Chris is our Artie Lang. Shotgun gave a little shade to the Britton Allen signing. and then Really? I haven't said anything about Britton Allen himself, but my question is, what's happened with those Florida DBs that come in? If he's not getting immediate play in time, yeah. you've seen all those guys leave. Very good recently. point. Very good point. Lamont Simmons, that was one that I think... Jamel Cook. But, you know, <laughs> we talked about this with Ronnie Bradford. And the, and the transfers that they've had already at defensive back and some of the issues that go on with defensive back, you do have to stay on top of these kids. You do have to, you know, hold their hand a little bit. It's college football. And I think with USC and the defensive back recruiting, there's been a little bit of that NFL mentality, laissez-faire. We're going to just, you know, let you guys do what you're going to do. When you come to practice, then you're at practice, and then you do what I tell you to. But everything else is sort of you're losing track with guys a little bit. And if you're not a part of the recruiting process 365 days a week, excuse me, 365 days a year, every, 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 you know, every kind of facet and phase of it, because USC, I think, and we've talked about this on the Peristyle quite a bit, they sort of go through the early process where they start offering guys. They have their junior year usually. I mean, it was in, I think, January last year. Sometimes it's in February. Then you've got spring ball, and, and recruiting kind of fades in the background because they want to focus on football. Understood. But then you get in the main evaluation. They go on the road. Okay, recruiting is important again. Then you get in that summer stretch, and you that's where USC loses a lot of these kids right now. I mean, at least in this past year, even last year, they had a lot of issues staying on top of those kids and, and where you talk about okay on the recruiting process maybe you're able to make up that ground you win a rose bowl you have a good season and you get that momentum back and then you're able to close strong but if you're not on top of those kids you're not staying in touch with them from a character standpoint from the other standpoints of just knowing who you're recruiting you may lose track of that a little bit if you're just showing up in december for in-home visits you may not really know who you're recruiting. You know that they're talented. You've seen their highlight film. But do you really know what type of kid that is and whether he fits? Because I remember, you know, with Jamel Cook was a, was a perfect example. I remember, uh, I won't name names, but a former coach that was at USC, he texted me and go, why are they going after Jamel Cook? And I said, well, Jamel Cook's a pretty good player, man. 6'4", 190, Army All-American, the guy, you know, can move. But he doesn't fit USC. And I understood what he was saying. And when I talked to Jamel Cook... I kind of felt that way too. Does he really fit USC? And you do have to get players from a disposition standpoint 
that do fit USC. USC is a certain type of school. And being from Miami, I think a lot of people thought, well, Jamal Cook, you know, Miami's a big city. He's not going to be scared off by USC. He's not going to be scared off by Los Angeles. He wasn't, but I think the fit for the team and sort of what Clay Helton wanted to do and some of those coaches was not what he was ready for. And it's and it certainly the school that he was committed to at the time, Florida State, it, it's not the same. And so I think that's something that you definitely have to take into account. Will this be an impact on Britton Allen? Will the, you know, being away from home, he is already technically kind of away from home because he's from Georgia and he's playing for IMG. So he has a little bit of that transition where he's been away from home and he's gone to school. This is a bigger transition for him. But just in terms of a guy that really caught my eye because you see USC giving off these offers and scrambling sort of here at the last minute, when we find out that he's officially visiting, you're like, okay, Brent Allen. I don't know anything about Brent Allen. You go pull up his film. This is a, a, a smaller yeah. sort of six foot, 180, 85 pound safety that kind of has a little bit of Jenny Harris, but more athletic. When you watch his sophomore film, especially, and him playing receiver, which is what I really like to see. I like to see defensive backs that actually make an impact on the offensive side of the ball and they've got some ball skills. He was really jumping off the film. His speed, his quickness, and his aggressiveness, and he's very. Very uh, decisive, I, I think, in his movement. And when he comes to the line of scrimmage, when he makes a play on the ball, he's not very hesitant. And I, I really like that. I was surprised he's a three-star by 24-7 sports. Um, he's a guy that uh, really made some plays. And, again, from a sophomore year just watching it, uh, he has some of that suddenness that you want to see in the defensive backfield. The worst part is we wish we would have known they were looking at him more. Yeah. When they came out here to play, so we could have got exactly. in person. IMG's got so many guys. I mean, it's true. Goodness gracious, like yeah, it's uh, they're stacked. But um, and so I mean, competition-wise, you know, he's kind of transitioned and he's had to compete probably for that job. He's been at IMG at a high school, so mm -hmm. um, an interesting pickup and a guy that he's going to be an early enrollee as well. So we're going to see him in spring ball. So that's why you know I kind of think of him immediately because he's going to be out there in USC. I hear they need defensive backs. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's the, he's going to get a lot of playing time this spring. It's great for him to come in in the spring because Isaiah Polmau is still out. Telling all who funga, maybe he comes back in the maybe, spring. Yeah. I mean, he should Mike, be healthy. Mike Pittman did make a really quick recovery from his uh, his collarbone. I, mean, I, I broke mine twice, so he should be yeah. good to go. Just, <laughs> is that a weird thing though? That seeing like, hey, there's we we go out, so all of us will go out to high school games, and you usually have focus of all right, one guy or two guys or something. These are the guys that USC are after. I think we've all been to games. And USC signed a guy that we didn't even realize was like I, you know, went to Narbonne. Welcome recently. to five and seven. I mean, I mean, is that different though? Like if you go to CIMG or if you go to see Narbonne, I'm I'm filming the left tackle, and yeah. USC ends up signing the left guard. Well, know? yeah, like, I want I saw Pittsburgh play against uh, against Corona Centennial, and of course the guy at Pittsburgh High School that everybody goes to see is uh, Jacob Bandis. Mm -hmm. He's the Army All American defensive tackle. USC didn't recruit Jacob Bandis; they recruited his teammate. That yeah. nobody else was looking at. So, but the, at the time, they probably weren't really recruiting him. That was the, no, that was no, no, thing. probably yeah. not. This is yeah, they're, they're, and, and with this early signing period, and maybe perhaps just this class in general, there are Plan Bs and Plan Cs that have been uh, executed. <laughs> they've they've yeah. gone to that. This is no, you know, you're not going to sugarcoat it. And I talked about this on the podcast the other week. I mean, they they definitely had to pivot with some guys, and uh, that's sort of what you've gotten. And and you know, can they, some of these guys can they be sleepers? Can they be guys? That end up being, you know, sort of diamonds in the rough, of course. But some of these other guys are going to just be bodies too. You have to understand that that's the way it goes. And when you go five and seven, and you have part-time recruiters on your staff, that's what you get. We had a Periscope one. Sure. Uh, looks like Redborn or Bill Redborn. Why didn't USC pursue uh, Tua's younger brother? Because he was living in Alabama. Yeah. Are we talking <laughs> about Tua Tagovailoa? Yeah, yeah. His little brother. Yeah. Well, they moved to Alabama. 
and his mom and the, the family were living in Alabama. And so, yeah, you, you're not going to go after him. I mean, he's not too attacked by Aloha, and he's living in Alabama. So, you know, that sort of kind of does it. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah. We had a question from Jasper, who he, we kind of get to know these people after a while doing these shows. He canceled a date to watch the show. Which oh, Jasper. Yeah, so he really wanted to ask you some questions. He has a question. Do you think Keaton Slovis has a legit shot of ever starting at USC, or is he more of a filler guy? He's a stopgap. Um, does he have a legit shot? Does Does he have uh, potentially could he start? I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, Matt Fink potentially could have started at one point, but I think he's more of a stopgap and a guy that – you know, you have there just in case he's a Division One level college quarterback. Um, he's a good scout team guy, but do I anticipate him uh, pushing JT Daniels or pushing somebody down the line for a starting job and legitimately being in that? And we're, we're sitting around questioning, wow, who's going to be the quarterback? I don't. I don't. Greg wants to know after this cycle, recruiting cycle finishes, which position will have the most depth? Hmm. After this, question, recruit, probably still linebacker, right? Um, or receiver. 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 Yeah. <laughs> receiver. Yeah. Actually, receiver. I mean, don't lose anybody. Else. If they, yeah, because yeah. I mean, they get they get Drake London signed, and this is another guy. Actually, you want to talk about Drake? Should we talk? Let's about talk Drake about Drake London, London because <laughs> pull up his, pull up his video. she's it. got the cool graphic. Oh uh, yes. I mean, I already like Drake London, yeah. and then you came in with your love affair of him. So <laughs> well, you have the basketball thing. Guy. That's the you know. That's the guy. No more public the previous question. That's the guy that I'm most excited about. Now, he's not going to be an early enrollee. He's just an early signee. But, yeah, that's the guy that uh, I think just it's it's the tenacity. It's his dog mentality playing receiver. He blocked better than any lineman that I saw this year. Okay? Okay? That, that's as good as an offensive line class this was. And that's still going to be open to debate because we saw a lot of big bodies this year. And a lot of guys were rated high. But I came away from some games going, mm, I'm not so sure this class is as good as we all thought it was. Um, but Drake London, holy crap. Drake London is just tenacious on the edge. I mean, he blocks. And you think basketball player. You think a guy's going to be a basketball player. He's going to be finesse. He's going to be you know fadeaway jumpers on the football field. No, he's out there brawling guys. He's looking for guys to block. He's he's after the whistle, giving guys elbows. I mean, he. he I was really impressed with that aspect. And then you go, okay, six five two ten. He can jump. He's averaging almost thirty points a game in basketball. Yeah, th this that this this is a steal right here. I mean, this is a a, a midway four star level guy that is still a steal. He could have been debatable five-star, I think. He, there could have been, the, I would say there could be that conversation with his physical talent, and you're going to see here in this video him getting his knee hit and hurting, and then uh, he comes back and he's clutch. Yeah, game-winning uh, catch in that game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always, the, the story of Drake London is so funny to me because I think that Friday we all were at kind of boring games, but you were at Drake London's game in the group chat. You were just like, that's when you just fell in love with Drake London. <laughs> Drake, Drake London is taking over. Like, he, this dude... I mean, he's fast. He runs well after the catch. I think he and Puka Nakua, uh, the Orem wide receiver, four-star, he did not sign today. He's still possibly going to take a visit, I think, to Washington. UCLA is kind of trying to get in it. We're going to see what happens. He would be a great fit for just this offense that Kingsbury, I think, wants to run. He's, he's got a little Robert Woods to him. He's a technician. Uh, very good player. Probably slot guy, you think? For, for You know, he could play anywhere. He's, he's a good 6'1", almost 6'2". Okay. I mean, he and he's and like I said, he runs well after the catch. Uh, but 
he and Drake London kind of, I think, really are underrated when they get the ball in their hands. I, I think a lot of people think, okay, Drake London, that's a guy that's going to sky it. He's going to be a 50-50 guy. Uh, he's going to be Dwayne Jarrett. He's going to be, uh, maybe to a lesser extent, uh, Patrick Turner. But he's not. He he He's more than that. I mean, he's a guy that could legitimately end up out of this great receiver class, and we're including Brew McCoy in that, could end up being the highest rated guy that comes out and ends up being drafted highest in the NFL. I would not be surprised if he was drafted higher than anybody in this class. Uh, that USC gets for this receiver. And the craziest part is there are people that think he's an NBA player too. Yeah. Well, I mean, 30 points a game, 10 and a half rebounds, four assists. I mean, he, he's, yeah, he, he, I mean, he's a, he, he's a legitimate, like, two guard, I think, right? He's, he's a legitimate, like, you could go to basketball, you could go and get your scholarships in basketball and forget football. Not, you know, this is not Zach Banner. Yeah, right? he was, this he is, was, you know, one of the, one of the, no, no offense, Zach, but, you know, one of the biggest schools to recruit him besides USC that was offering him for both sports. Was Virginia, who's a top five team, yeah. you know, has been permanently the last three or four years. So, you know, that's the type of he is a he, he fits very well in that Virginia style of, of uh, basketball team too. Very tenacious, you know. That's what and he's that way on the football field too. Yeah. Too he brings that. You know, he's one of those guys where you're like, if the guy's guarding you in, in basketball, you're just like, this guy's guarding me. <laughs> Can I get the easy guy? Yeah. Why well, can I get this guy? What, what's going? What's up with that? So that, that's the thing. I, I think he's a unique player in that regard. He brings. That football mentality to basketball, but he also brings the the basketball skill set to the football yeah, field. Yeah, and he doesn't sacrifice. Yeah, that mentality of being physical on the football field. That, I, that was surprising to me when I watched him and saw him how he played away from the football. You know, when, even when he didn't have the football, going out there and stalking defensive backs and just just being nasty with them. And that and that's exactly what you want to see from a guy that's six five. And so, yeah, that's a guy that I think overall, you know, Brew McCoy, if, if USC is able to close with him, obviously a great athlete. There's a lot to look forward with him. Um, but it's one of those things that, yeah, we've seen something and you want to see how that gets developed. You know, you see a lot of these guys in high school and sometimes they go to schools and you go, man, I, what happened to him? And I saw him and I thought he was going to be so much different. So this is going to be one of those litmus tests. We saw him in high school. We see the potential there. If he goes to USC and he sort of flounders and he's sort of okay, then there's going to be a problem. There's an issue. He also did not go to a training lane school. He, when right. everyone else has transferred, yeah. Drake London stayed at Moore Park. So... Not quite the same training and, and competition you're seeing every day in practice, no, and, and too, and so, and like said, which a lot more, of times says there's more potential there. Two sports. So, I mean, if you're going to focus. Now, he's not going to focus just on one sport. Maybe at some point down the line, junior year, he goes, okay, I'm going here, I'm going there. I'm going basketball or I'm going football. Um, but, you know, if he just focused on one sport, then you're really thinking, wow, he could put that much more time into weightlifting and everything to be a football player or vice versa. If he decides, you know what, football is too crazy. I got a concussion. I'm going to play basketball. Then he just focuses on basketball and you go, wow, he might have a potential to get the NBA there. So, yeah. yeah. We're cutting off the Drake yeah. London This has been show. your Drake London yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> been... I got one from Keith here from Periscope. Any recruits you think will flip to USC or, uh, you know, to USC or from USC to another school? Well, we talked a little bit about Puka Nakua. So Utah's there. Um, and that's, that's you know, the, the school with his brother it's gone to. Um, they lost their offensive coordinator. So that kind of, you know, brings in a little bit of a question as to what's the future of the offense, what type of offense they're going to run. He really does have a good rapport with the USC coaching staff. And I, th I think Cliff Kingsbury definitely supplements a little bit, even though you lose T. Martin as a receiver coach. Uh, you put Kerry Colbert in there, who, again, you know, sort of, I, I think you were talking about comparisons, that's sort of Puka Nakua, that's sort of along the lines of the type of player he is, more of a possession type player, more of a, a technician, a, a tactician at the wide receiver position. Uh, but that's a guy that's going to be, he, 
Washington's going to come after him. We know Utah's already after him. And then, like I said, UCLA's kind of in there too a little bit. So that's a guy. Uh, Jordan Wilmore, who a lot of people thought was going to sign today, which he was not ever going to sign today. Yeah. So they're thinking he's going to decommit because he didn't sign. Uh, that's another guy that Washington State, Utah, some other schools are looking at. And I could see him, you know, getting getting a little bit of push from some schools. Um, th- that's kind of the, th- those are the only two guys that really jump out that uh, are potentially. Well, they're the only committed business. guys that haven't signed yet, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but anyone could flip, like, is there what, like, there's not that many committed guys, right? Like, most people So signed. this is the list yeah. of guys that are committed currently that have not signed in the top 100 in California, at least, just in California. Darren Jones, who's committed to Utah, Asa Turner, committed to Washington, uh, Jordan Wilmore at USC, Michael Martinez at UCLA, Tariq Luckett at Colorado. Um, I think that's it. So yeah. that's in your top 100 players in California. There's just not that many. Yeah. You know? And, you know, basically, if you don't sign with the school you're committed to now, <laughs> but but it also, like, now, now, granted, Clay Helton said the West Coast people, you know, there's a little bit less pressure than there is on the East Coast with some of these kids and stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, you understand that. But you look at it and you say, if you don't sign with the team you're committed to, what are you kind of telling that school? Are you looking for something better? Or like, you know, if you're committed to USC, you know, are you waiting on that, I don't know, Alabama or Ohio State offer? Is that what's better for I mean, otherwise, like, what are you really, like, yeah. if you're in the class, aren't you in the class? Or are you going to be in the class? It's, there's a lot more pressure. It's going to be focused. It's like a, a magnifying glass now. Like, if you're you're one of the only, like, Jordan Wilmore is one of the only, like, four-star running backs that's not signed in the country, right? I mean, there's just not that many of them. So yeah. if some school needs one, you're probably going to give him a call. You can, you can still talk to him for the next couple of months. And I think it's interesting, the people that are committing now versus are waiting. And I talked to Chris Steele earlier this week uh, about kind of his decision not to. And I'm going to leave Gerard with this, and then i got to take off. Uh, but you know, I thought it was interesting. He said, you know, one of the reasons why I'm not committing is NFL jobs haven't even come open yet. So if I commit to a guy and then all of a sudden the NFL job opens up, what am I going to do then? And what is the relationship I've been able to build with a team like USC who just hired their DB coach, what, three days, you know, a week ago? You know, how, how much of a relationship do I have already? Now, granted, he had met Greg Burns before. They had, you know, he had a relationship with him from uh, earlier in his career. But – you know, if the coaching change is happening, why are you, if there ends up being a coaching change after you sign, you're kind of screwed as far as your position coach. So why not wait on it? If you're coveted enough, why would you not wait? Just, just make sure you guys are going to keep everybody telling me you're going to do because otherwise you might end up with Roquan Smith. And that was in February. Oh, yeah, yeah. Obert's going to be here. Obert's going to be here. As soon as he, you know, commits, you hear rumors that Obris going to, to the Falcons and suddenly Roquan Smith's like, wait, why did I just commit to you guys? Right. What you've told me is going to be completely false. Yeah, no, that's 100% true. I mean, we keep asking ourselves that. I mean, we, you're trying to think of this logically and go, okay, if you're not going to be an early enrollee, why would you put yourself through the pressure of making this decision if you're not 100% sure? Or there are variables which can happen after this point that could change your decision. And you look at Drake Jackson and being an example of that, you know, Drake Jackson didn't have to commit today. I mean, if he's torn, why wouldn't you just wait and go through the process and maybe something happens in the next couple of weeks that changes your mind or something that could happen changes your mind. And kids, I think they're just wrapped up right now in, in this in this thing. And guys that, you know, the last two years we've seen it, guys that planned on waiting and Drake Jackson's one of those guys. He was talking about visiting USC in January. It all just changes because I think the pressure starts to get up and the schools that are sort of on the cusp 
start to really push hard because they feel like maybe we can steal a kid. Maybe we can get a kid because the leaders don't think he's going to commit, and that builds the pressure. And then, the, and then the schools that are the favorites start to realize, oh crap, we better start pre we start put on the full court press too. And then the kid's like inundated, and he's like, I just want to get it over with. And that's what happens, sort of a domino effect of sorts. You get, you know, sort of the Oregon's and, and the Nebraska's and the cusp sort of schools that are trying to make that big splash, and they really push hard to try to steal those kids, and then that just forces everybody else to kind of raise the stakes as well. And so that's what we've seen, and a lot of kids just feel like there's too much pressure, and they just want to get it over with. All right, Shotgun's got a trip he's got to go on, so we're going to... Yeah, who needs work, right, Shotgun? <laughs> I'm working eight of the now nine days of my trip. I had to change my flight to come back to cover something, so... Nice. So therefore, I don't want to hear your snark. Glad to wow. exit on oh my that. my goodness, like an old married couple. Say, it's called the Family Feud Podcast, Gerard. I never yeah. understood the name. But now I do. Yeah, exactly. Like brother and sister. Exactly. There was, uh, I mean, there was along those same questions. With it's hard to flip, but were any graduate transfers? Do you think anything like that would yes. happen? Yes. Yes. Do you think there's? Oh no. Well, gra graduate transfers, we'll see, because that that's always depend on the pool of talent that's available, and that's always dictated on who can actually graduate. Um, but transfers. But USC would be open for yeah transfers yeah, sure. to graduate yeah. transfers. Transfers though, is a thing. Transfers is a thing, and. We're gonna have to see what happens. You know, there's a guy. Transfers is a thing. People. There's a guy. There's a guy on the cruise right now that's been tweeting, been tweeting at some USC players. I'm not gonna name his name because everybody who's been paying attention, like you should be paying attention, knows who I'm talking about. Ooh, and class. That might be a thing. That might actually be a real thing. So, yeah, transfers are, are definitely. I think defensive back. USC is going to look at it. Now there's a database because they've, they've changed things in terms of how transfers can be contacted. The schools, if you put your name in the database that you want to be transferred, can actually contact you. Whether you're, you you haven't left the school, you could still be at the school. They can still contact you. So there's none. There's no... Um, like Justin Fields, the quarterback from Georgia. Well, Justin Fields, I, I believe, has officially left Georgia. But he put his... He was in, like, he, he, he officially declared or yes, whatever. Yes. And so he was in that But database. there's guys that have not declared that are in this database that schools know and can now contact and talk to without there being any issues from the NCAA. So that, that changes the game a bit. So I think what you're looking at is USC, they need to see if there's going to be some openings that they can get maybe a defensive back. Um, and then there's some other guys that, that are going to be out there. So I, I think transfers are definitely a thing for USC in this cycle. I'm not saying guaranteeing that there's going to be transfers, but the fact that the conversation I had with the source at the end of the day was, yeah, there's definitely some interest there. And, and there's interest there with uh, maybe even some specific guys. So. All right, check out the peristyle. You still have like two, what, three and a half hours to take care of it. It's or, uh, buy one, get one. You can see it on the scroll. Below. Buy one, get one free. Yes. Merry uh, Christmas. We have an interesting question from Ryan Fox. Okay. He says, What's it going to take for USC to hire more than three support staff employees? Actually, I was texting with some people at USC today and actually reaching out to people at Alabama and Clemson. I think there's some numbers that get thrown around, like there's 40 support staff people. And I think it depends on what you're talking about numbers. Um, I did hear Clemson, I think, has eight or nine like recruiting support people, but they also have a huge social media graphics department that goes along with it, so they can produce all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, right now, I think USC has three um, support people that are helping, uh, and they also have like a graphics person. So, I, yeah, I think USC is definitely behind uh, the curve. Way there. behind. I, I don't know about those numbers, but I know having talked to coaches, 
and even some you know support staff members whether it be at other schools or even at usc you know they go to the seminars they go to clinics and you know usc's got you know like three or four guys that show up and these other schools are like you know 10 12 guys and they're not even the graphic guys yeah. And so, you know, from a support That's exactly what I heard. I heard the exact same thing. And, and, and that even goes into, you know, people are talking about Ivan Lewis and, and, the, and the strength and conditioning. And that's, you know, also considered support staff. And so those guys are probably undermanned as well. We don't know as much because we just don't see those guys very often. It's sort of, you know, they're on the weight room or whatever. You know, you don't see who's all involved there. But USC is way behind. And that's that, that was sort of a arms race that started probably five, six years ago where you started to see Alabama going out and hiring head coaches and offensive coordinators from other schools to be on the support staff. I mean, Tosh Lapoy was originally on the support staff. They're paying him $450,000 a year to come from Washington after he ended up having that investigation where he was, it was alleged that he had paid to have a kid uh, tutored uh, that was coming out of high school that he was recruiting. And so $450 for a guy that was on, you know, the target list for the NCAA. And, and he ends up, you know, obviously now he's a defensive coordinator. And that's what Alabama's done. They brought in guys to be analysts. They brought in guys like Steve Sarkeesian. It's they like a farm system for coaches. Mike Loxley. These are guys that were, yeah, it's a farm system. You bring them in, you pay them what they should be paid to be analysts. And then they, they have a, a little bit of experience within the system and they work their way up and then they end up on the full-time staff. And so... Yeah, they, it was it was an arms race that did start five or six years yeah, ago. That USC hasn't even acknowledged it's begun. USC so hasn't even replaced the, <laughs> Alex Collins, who left for Utah. Uh, Alex Rios, who left during the Utah week. Uh, you know, you and now you're at a you early early signing day, and you've got uh, an official visit weekend, which was last weekend of 15 official visitors. Who do you think helps? Really organize all that stuff. Getting these guys to the hotel, making sure that their parents get off the flight, making sure guys get in the car. This is all in support staff. So, especially now with the early signing period, it's so important because well, USC has been worried about this year, but you're getting ready for a bowl game. Like yeah. you're getting for a yeah. bowl game, and you gotta like organize what's going on when coaches are hired or fired, and, and that's what's going on right now. I mean, you're talking about Kenichi Daisy like coming back from a trip, getting fired, and like you know. He was told, like, here's where you're going to go on your next trip. You know, like, yeah. there's, there, you need that support staff to kind of work. Well, now you got to shuffle. Like, who's going to go see this recruit that you have to go well, pay that was, a visit yeah, to? That, that compounded matters even worse because you only had five full-time guys on the staff. So you actually legitimately had some of your support staff. The people that are, like, fi you know, figuring out which plane you take and all that yeah, stuff, they had to actually go on the plane. Eric yeah. Ziskin is, hey, you know, <laughs> on Twitter, you know, in, in home, uh, Gavin Morris. Uh, they had uh, Lenny Vandermaid. Um, Joe DeForest was on uh, some some stuff. He was, uh, I think, it was Satoa uh, Laomia. Well, he was on an uh, in-home visit with him on campus at Eisenhower High School. So you had some of the guys that are sort of that um, auxiliary staff. You so, so you sort of had like, I mean, support staff is a general word that sort of gets thrown around. Like Ryan is saying, you have the actual like on-field coaches that are support staff. Uh, guys like Lenny Vandermade and the, and the analyst type guys. And then you have the guys that actually work on the recruiting front that are in the office. And then you have the strength and conditioning guys. And then you have more, you have a bunch of different people. Social that media, that. all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So the, the guys that are directly involved, though, with recruiting, yeah, USC's got three of those guys. Trey Johnson, Eric Ziskin, and Gavin Morris. And, and they do yeoman's work. I mean, they, they've done ridiculous. I mean, they put them on the, the, the road to do full-time recruiting. That doesn't happen at many schools. You ne you almost never see that. You, when's the last time you've seen uh, the, the director of personnel from Clemson on the road on, during in-home <laughs> visits? Like, that doesn't happen. Ohio State, Alabama, 
those schools don't do it. Notre Dame has got a bunch of support staff. I think there was an article that came out that said Notre Dame actually had the most, but they weren't counting Alabama's strength and conditioning because they weren't listed on the, the official website. So it was like 41 uh, support staff guys in total for Notre Dame. I think Alabama was at like 33, but they're like, yeah, they also have, you know, another 20 guys that are that are you know, strength and conditioning. We, they just don't list them, so we can't necessarily say who's who. But uh, schools have been doing this for a long time, and they've been very slick about it in the past. I remember, and I've told this story on the podcast before, where USC played Ohio State. It was a year that Matt Barkley and Joe McKnight came back to win that game in Columbus. And they were struggling, struggling to run the ball in that game. And they were going in at halftime, and Pat Rule runs into one of his buddies that's actually coaching, or it was on, on on the field for Ohio State. And they start talking, and they start talking about... Uh, this guy that that comes walking down and and Pat kind of remembers him and he he goes, who's this guy here? Who's this guy who just came down from the press box? I I know him from somewhere. And I can't remember his name at the the moment, but he was Kansas City Chiefs, like former defensive coordinator. He'd been in the NFL for like 30 years. And it was this like low-key thing that was, you'd never heard of this guy on the website or anything like that, but this was a guy that was part of their support staff. It was an analyst back before you heard a lot about this. And he was there, and he was basically uh, uh, a guy that was brought in specifically for zone blocking teams. He was he like in the in the NFL, he was known for his schemes against zone blocking teams, and that was what USC was. So when USC saw him and saw that he was on the Ohio State coaching staff, the light bulb went off, and that second half they made that adjustment, and they could run the ball all of a sudden against Ohio State, especially you know those last couple of drives. That's interesting. an interesting little, yeah. little yeah. story. Yeah. So I I, th- I feel like, and I think. USC knows it. I think they, they've. It's been slow. I don't like a guy like Alex Rios leaves after the UNLV game. The USC mayor. How do you replace him? They didn't replace him the whole season and stuff. So there's that's an issue. Like that's internal stuff that needs to be fixed. I kind of feel like it's getting there. I think they realize it now. And sometimes Gerard's face doesn't say is. I, I just don't know. I don't know what makes you think that. Yeah. Because you got some text I think messages some, and some phone calls I, asking, some, I, I think there's some people that are concerned about us being as critical as we are, but I but they realize like yes, there's a there's a problem here. Um, problem. I, I feel like I maybe I'm just being optimistic. I feel like they're going to try to address this. It's one of those things. I told the story to someone that uh, you know familiar with this whole situation, and he said exactly right. When Chris Carlisle was, and I think I told this before, Chris Carlisle was the strength coach at USC. They had the worst weight room uh, possible in the in the of any power five school. It was like school. a Soviet sub. When it, you was, went down there. it was. It was like, awful. <laughs> and it, just real quick, he said, he, I said, well, what, you know, what about getting an upgrade? And he said, well, I went to them and said, we want to upgrade. Like, you got to win the Pac-12, and then we'll upgrade. They did, and it's like, so we asked, okay, can we get the upgrade now? They're like, if you guys win a national championship, we'll definitely upgrade. So was, okay, they did, and then they're like, can we upgrade now? They're like. You already won a national championship. Why do you need to upgrade? And USC's just recruited really well yeah. with the bare bones. And that's because you had all these other things going on. You could win, you win the Rose Bowl. Okay, maybe you don't need as big of a staff. You keep the whole coaching staff together. You win the Pac-12. Well, this year, everything went wrong. You stunk on the field. You didn't have anything to sell at the end. You had to get rid of a bunch of coaches. You had to promote support staff people to actually go on the road. So now you're like, well, you, you didn't prepare for a rainy day, basically, is what they're doing. Like you, you could get by and do some really good things with a bare-bone staff, but you shouldn't have to do that. You make those guys work too hard. This is a year you can't get by with it. You're seeing, like Gerard said, plan B and plan C guys. If they had a full support staff, I can guarantee you the class would be better. And they have to realize that. So The chickens came home to roost. 
It yeah. was one of those things where we saw the last two years, we saw some deficiencies, we saw some things going on, and the, you know things just fell right at the end of the year where they kind of were able to gloss over some things and it didn't come out to bite them in the butt. And this year it did, you know. And this was this was we kept saying even the last couple of years, even with the recruiting class, where they sort of had these me- mediocre starts. And you get into October, and then you start to see guys, you know, decommit, and you go, okay, that was, you know, USC parting ways. And you get the momentum, you go, okay, you know, everything's starting to work, and the planets align, and boom, you you hit that that sort of December, January stretch. And when you've got a Rose Bowl behind you, or in front of you even, or you've got, you know, Pac-12 championship, these are things that, you know, it's always about the trajectory of the program and feeling like the program is going somewhere, and those kids want to get on that rocket. You know, they want to ride that rocket. And when that rocket looks like it's, you know, starting to fall apart and it's heading toward the ocean, then everyone wants to bail on it. And so that's, you know, and in combination with the, the firings of some of the coaches and the timing of that, you, you, I mean, you had like five or six support staff guys that were on the road and these in-home visits. And that's, that's just tough to do because they're scrambling a bit and they've, you know, not used to that necessarily. Gavin Morris has been on the road, I think, in the last three years. Gavin so Morris, should, he shouldn't be one of your best recruiters like that's part of the problem like it's great that he does an amazing job but you I don't want to see Gavin his name come I think, up as I think, much as it I does. think I, this is and this is where USC's actually they've kind of struck some gold here is because you know Gavin is not a coach he's there at USC he's not looking to be a coach I think he really uh, talking to him I think he eventually wants to be more of an athletic director and so he's a guy that's really tied at the hip with USC you know he's really talking the talk about I'm here and I'm going to be here. And so if you have a relationship with me, you have a relationship with somebody who's not just looking for the next job to be an offensive coordinator or be a head coach somewhere. So it really works where he he is a great recruiter and he does have a lot of trust with the recruits. And because he's gone through the circuit of, of, B, of B2G and other things like that, he sort of knows the, the temperature of the water and how the ebb and flow is with recruiting nowadays. And even a lot of coaches that have been full-time coaches for any amount of time, let's say you've just been an assistant coach for you know more than a decade and you bounce around college football, the, 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 that's just the seven-on-seven circuit is basically that old. Like we're, you know, how it works now and, and the influences that kids have and sort of the, like I said, the ebb and flow of the process and how much that impacts everything. That's a guy that came through B2G, which was really one of the first. It was kind of the pioneer of some of these seven-on-seven programs and these off-season training programs. He kind of knows how that works. And so yeah, I, should he be your best recruit? Should he be the guy that's on Darnay Holmes at the end of the year and, <laughs> and the guy that's really holding that recruitment together at the end of the year, at the end of the process when Darnay Holmes is about to make a commitment on national television at the Army All-American game, should you know Gavin be the guy that has to close that on his own? No, not at all. There needs to be a defensive back coach there that helps close that. There needs to be somebody else that's going to be on the field with that kid because that's going to be the argument. Is like, you know what? Gavin's great. I have a great relationship with him. I feel like I could trust him. I feel like USC is a great place for me. But who's coaching me? Who's teaching me how to backpedal? And that's always the thing that you got to have somebody that closes. And I think with Brian Bradford, like we've said before, and I don't want to you know keep beating a dead horse, but he he, he just it, the relationships weren't there. I think it was sort of dismissive about the process. And you just come in, it's sort of Johnny come lately. It worked with some guys, but other guys it didn't work. And in a year where you really had to recruit, you really had to sell because you only went five and seven and your coach was on the coaching hot seat. This was the year where you had to have those guys that had those relationships built in the full-time coaching staff and they didn't. And that's why you saw them kind of strike out in a lot of areas. 
we haven't really gotten your thoughts, at least on this show, since it's your debut, on where USC is. debut, man. Yeah, where USC is headed oh, now. I, were you able to hear Clay Helton's press at all today? I wasn't, no. Okay. I was on the 91. Okay. There was a lot about Cliff Kingsbury and what that does for the offense, right. the optimism. But, of course, there's a lot of questions about Lynn Swan and his sweeping statements about a culture change. It seemed like Helton just felt like there needed to be a culture change on the field, not necessarily off the field, which I don't necessarily agree with. Or don't I don't disagree with. But what what do you think about the future of this? Because they say they branded it as a Notre Dame uh, type of offseason, you know, getting yeah. rid of everyone. Right. But that's not really what we're seeing. Why, one, brand yourself in that corner? Two, why? Because Notre Dame's the only true brand in college football. Kid, really. <laughs> yeah, well. Or Pat Hayden himself. <laughs> but what do you think about this team going forward? Because I just looked at the P very quickly, the peristyle, and they're pretty depressed over there. <laughs> Well, in terms of culture, we keep talking about the football culture, and I've seen people bring up the word winning culture. You know, winning culture is kind of a means to an end. I mean, if you're winning, then you have winning culture, right? I mean, what does that mean? It's a vague kind of statement. I think with USC, when I hear culture, I always kind of think about the administration first. And that's starting to bleed into even just the university in general because you've got scandals, you've got things going on. I just wonder if you can have a winning culture within the athletic department and specifically within the football team if there's issues just in the university in general and the administration and how things are getting done. Um, you know, you could sort of try to quarantine everything from that and say, okay, this is how things are going to be done. We're going to coach. We're going to do this this way. But when you have people in the administration that are hiring and if there's not a great culture within the administration, then you just wonder. It just seems to be something that's always going to affect the other thing. And so... That I've heard it from coaches that have been coached at USC and they've kind of gone, wow, you know, I didn't think USC was like this. And it's like, well, what do you mean? And and it kind of goes back to that word, the culture of it. And, and it just, you know, in general, how things are done at USC. And I think, you know, one part of the culture that's obviously, you know, we kind of saw it today and, and it's it's the, the slow reaction to things. And, and it's almost like there's a, a, a government type of situation where, you know, anytime you get involved with, with a government entity, everything just seems to work slow, right? You go to the DMV and it's there's like, bureaucracy. there's bureaucracy, there's everything else. And, and today we saw something interesting where, um, and this kind of goes back to the support staff thing, where almost every school in the Pac-12 was like, boom, 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 this guy signed, boom, 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 Not this guy signed. every school. Yeah. We've got I went video. Through every school, yeah. We've got graphics. We've got this. We've got that. And USC has Eric Ziskin putting up emotes, and we're guessing. <laughs> well, they have this many guys, and that's sort of a, a little bit of a reflection on sort of things at USC sometimes that you, you know, and and I was told it's kind of you know there's some compliance issues with USC all the time that when they want to you know announce things and they want to do things and they want to you know, push the envelope, and, and, and I don't think this is pushing the envelope because every other school is doing it, but just to be on the edge of things and be competing with everybody, that compliance becomes a thing. And obviously compliance was sort of used as an excuse to some extent because you had the sanctions. And it almost seems like, you know, the 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 football program to some extent ha has been um, sort of repossessed a little bit by the administration under the guise that sanctions, you know, we can never have, have that happen again. So we have to sort of over... Uh, comply ourselves and we have to make sure everything that goes on and it slows down everything and so you know maybe that's an excuse you know may, maybe maybe compliance isn't the complete total reason of it but that's one of those things where people just throw out the word culture and, and with football I say you know everything's sort of connected a little bit and and you could say well you know Clay Helton hasn't done this and Clay Helton doesn't that 
But overriding in terms of culture, I think you know it's hard to have a great football culture if the athletic department in general isn't necessarily uh, everybody's on the same page and everybody's working efficiently. Maybe for, real quick for the, uh, you know, I agree with what Gerard's saying here. And, and USC did, they tweeted out, it seemed like they had all this stuff ready. It wasn't like they didn't have graphics ready, but it just sort of was like, everyone else had tweeted stuff. And I tweeted, like, I looked at the whole Pac-12. Everyone else had been tweeting out their things. USC was getting faxes, obviously, or, you know, yeah. letters of intent, but they weren't doing them right away. Then they were kind of like doing them like every 10 minutes or so. Like, so it was like a stockpile. It was a weird spacing. It was kind of strange. Like, they weren't just getting them as they were coming in for, I don't know, whatever reason. But well, that's, here, here, and I'll just throw this out as, as a side note to this. Sometimes on signing day, your success in recruiting helps you recruit. So in the instance of where you all of a sudden you have guys and you're tweeting out, this guy's gone, this guy's committed, and this guy, then any kids that might be on the fence at that point, they're on Twitter, obviously, and they're going, oh, we, we they got him. Oh, it's looking good for yeah, ASU's got a great class. There's working. momentum working. there. Picked they're working guy. momentum, and it was like, USC was like, it, it was 9 o'clock almost, and we're going, what's going on? What's here? going on? Is, yeah, Eric, oh, you got his Eric this <laughs> Yeah, bless his heart. Eric's out there trying to do what he could do. Yeah. but and, and that's where you go, okay, well, is it a, is it a compliance thing? Where they're, well, we don't want this out. You know, this might, this graphic might not be the NCAA, uh, you know, specs or whatever it is. It, they definitely have overcomplied. They, when they got sanctions, they turned around and they just bent over and allowed the NCAA to kind of trample them a bit. And I don't, don't give me those looks. Um, Torino's just off the side. But, but it, it's, it, it, but they can. really did. They really kind of went overboard to some extent. And, you know, it, it's, it's sort of handicapping them a little bit in certain situations. And, I could see where maybe, and I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't totally, and that wasn't the reason I got for why they were slow on things, but I could see in past when, you know, you've got a lineup around the peristyle of kids trying to get in the spring game and the spring game is about to kick off and you're going, why are these kids still in line? Well, you've got 200 kids standing in line. And it's because, you know, compliance is getting retinal scans and stuff. And you're going, <laughs> okay, that's a little bit too much. I don't think UCLA is doing that. I don't think Cal's doing that. And we know even from a media standpoint, in terms of, you know, having any kind of contact or anything with kids on campus, it's just a lot different at USC than it is other schools. I mean, you know, schools, you go on Twitter and you see photos from kids on their official visits and photos from kids at practice and this and that, and they've got name tags on. And then, you know, the interpretation from USC is that it's promoting uh, those, those recruits. That's, that's like, you know, you're allowing the media to promote through the university. And so USC stays away from it. But again, you're, you're talking about these little things that help recruiting and go, you know, a little bit just to kind of give kids a little more of exposure and they, they see themselves at the school and they're like, yeah, you know, they've, they've got a lot of media people at the school and they've got, you know, I, I ended up uh, with those photos for the basketball game and they kind of get into that stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of issues. And I think that when you talk culture, you, you can't overlook that stuff. You can't just get myopic and go, well, Clay Helton, what are you doing for the culture? I don't, I don't think it's just all on him. One thing from the, uh, Keely mentioned Clay Helton's press conference. So it was, uh, she was down there at USC and I thought the most interesting word out of the entire thing was yes. Clay Helton said yes. And then with the question was, is this going to be Cliff Kingsbury's offense? Is he going to run his offense? And it was a very short answer from Clay Helton, but he just said yes. So I know there was some question about there's no reason you the would The real question that. is, is that in the contract? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we heard that he was going to have uh, anonymity and he was going to completely be his offense and that was part of the deal. Right. But is it literally a part of the deal? Is it literally written that... But I, I thought it was strange that he just said, he didn't say, 
yeah, the reason we brought him in is because he blah blah blah. It just was like, yes, it was sort of like, did you what did what did you get the feeling from being there? That? I thought his demeanor in general was interesting. I thought it was like a sometimes he comes in really like out of breath for no reason. I don't know why. <laughs> like sometimes he did that on Thursday pressers too. Pushups, like, man, gotta get those pushups in. Yeah, he just seemed a little bit like I gotta do this and I gotta go. Yeah, and so I I couldn't get a good read on him, but it was interesting. Um, it did seem a little rushed. That yep. it was, this was the first time we could talk to him since the Notre Dame game. There wasn't anyone else available, like Cliff Kingsbury, who would, you know, they made him on, Tro they put him on Trojans Live tonight. So if you guys are watching this and over Trojans Live, thank you for that. Um, but, yeah, he made a radio tour. None of the new assistant coaches were available. I asked Tim Tesalone and he said none of those guys were going to be available. And it was pretty short. There wasn't really any questions about, there wasn't much about the team. It was, you know, there was only time to really ask about recruiting, and then they were like, "Okay, that's all you can I mean, ask." It about. was a presser about recruiting. I mean, yeah. how much can you draw it out? And we definitely did draw it out to other things. It was just, it was interesting for sure. Um, but initially, somebody would have asked him about Kayvon Thibodeau. Ooh. See what the answer to that would have been. Oh, I don't think he's gonna. Say I can't it. even answer that question straight. So. Yeah, but we get that a lot. Like, <laughs> what is he, you know, Why I mean, did they not recruit Kayvon Thibodeau? Yeah, we get that like every time we do television, pretty much. It's it's a constant. Uh, shall we do rapid fire? Yeah, let's try rapid, rapid fire. Rapid fire, Gerard. Something. Do you know what that is? I know. No, you talk. he does not know. I can ask you like your favorite <laughs> color, and thirty minutes what, later, there's no proceed here. Where's Chris? What of Chris the, Trevino. One of the Periscope questions was Gerard, you should take a breath, or what the comments <laughs> was. <laughs> uh, That's how he rolls, man. I saw many questions uh, during this television about Oregon. People seem threatened by what Oregon's doing. What's your read on on that whole situation? Oregon's got to win games. I mean, you, you, you can't be threatened until they, you know, start to win games and then they establish something. Um, but they're younger staff. Um, they put everything into recruiting. They, they put everything into recruiting very early in the process. Last year, you know, they weren't able to really close. And this year they lost some guys too. Um, Jeremiah Cradell was, was a loss for them. Um, they're still trying to get Chris Steele, and of course everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, they're going to get Chris Steele because Jeremiah Cradell went to Oklahoma. That's not necessarily how it works. Um, but um, it's, it's, a, it's a staff that is really focused on recruiting and has a bunch of recruiters. Um, it's just going to be a matter of, you know, are those really good recruiters going to be able to be really good coaches? Because if you, you continue to lose games and you show that, you know, there's just not anything really going on in Oregon, then it sort of starts to plateau a little bit. You know, right now it's still a new staff and it's a kind of a new feel. And they're, you know, talking, hey, we're building, we're rebuilding. We're going to be the next big thing in the Pac-12. And so that's that that makes it easier. It gains momentum and kids are into that. Kids are into the Nike and all that kind of stuff. And they use all that to their advantage. So um, as a threat, I mean, they're going to take, you know, talent away from USC if USC is five and seven and they have a bunch of guys on the coaching staff that are only going to recruit, you know, two, three months out of the year. Um, but, you know, it's it, it, the threat has to be in they're actually going to win Rose Bowls. And then you go, okay, they, you know, they've established something. It's going to be hard to be able to derail that. Um, but right now, it's just sort of, you know, a lot of uh, recruiting and, and doing a good job with the social media, um, having, you know, younger coaches that are very involved in it, and, um, you know, kind of really focusing on that a lot. I mean, they really put everything into recruiting. And, and the last class kind of fell apart on them, but they were able to, to do a pretty good job keeping this class pretty much together. USC plays them, so you get to see, see it on yeah, the field this home, year. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, we had a question from Kay who says, what, Gerard, do you think about Clancy Pendergrass and why USC's defense fails with out-of-conference opponents? Well, they failed with, with in-conference opponents. They failed with the cross-down rival, you know, UCLA. That was probably the biggest game in terms of defense where they really could not make an adjustment to stop the running game. Um, 
you know, it's interesting because I think, first and foremost, from a resume standpoint, and we talked about this before, everybody kind of wanted Clay Helton to fire Clancy Pendergast. And the question was, at that point in time, who do you get that has a, a relevant resume that can equal Pen Clancy Pendergast? I mean, this is a guy that coached in a Super Bowl for the Phoenix Cardinals. So in terms of experience and in terms of his resume, I mean, there's not too many guys out there that can compete with that. It's a matter of does he get a little bit too locked into what he does and people figure him out and he can't make that adjustment because you saw early on in Cal where they had some really good defenses early on in Cal. I mean, he was part of those defenses that were kind of the first ones to shut down uh, Chip Kelly. And so it's really, you know, after those first couple of years, can he find a way? And that's why I kind of interjected the whole thing about running a 4-3. Maybe kind of go back to the drawing board and just run something different. And, and, and just change it up a little bit because it seems like maybe people are kind of locking into what you're doing and they're figuring you out a bit. We got a couple of periscopes that are like, oh. this is rapid fire? This is <laughs> I was like, this is Gerard. This, that's actually rapid fire for Gerard. Yeah, no, I'm really actually impressed by this. <laughs> um, what's something about recruiting that people don't understand or wouldn't know? Oh. From your perspective, you're like, people just don't get this. That the kids... And the fans are, are miles apart in terms of yeah. the perspective of the, of the process and, and schools themselves. They are looking to become a part of something and make it better. And they have a lot of confidence in that. And the fans are looking at it from this perspective of, like, the totality of everything. I mean, they're talking about Lynn Swan and the decisions he's made. And kids don't talk about Lynn Swan. I mean, Chris Trevino went down to talk to Keenan Christian, who's the running back recruit out of Madison High School in San, uh, San Diego, and was asking him about Cliff Kingsbury. Nothing about Cliff Kingsbury. Never heard of him. Oh, that sounds great. Well, I don't know who he is. You know, I mean, you know, USC fans are like, oh yeah, Cliff Kingsbury. And then look, look at the, the quarterbacks, and they can list all this stuff. They're adults. They've been watching college football, and they get immersed in the details of it. These kids are on Instagram, and they're playing Fortnite. They do not know about this stuff. So, we did get a question that asked, "Who's the best Fortnite player of the the class?" I don't know how you would know that. I don't know. I don't play those cartoon games. Oh wow! I play real shooters, people. <laughs> Wow. Um, Someone up there is going at the same thing. So uh, uh, this is from Bro John. Uh, when do players get the Kingsbury playbook to start uh, new, practicing? I, I think it's New Year. They're not allowed to meet as a team uh, until the New Year. I don't know if there's a date, but because they weren't in a bowl game, they can't actually address the team as a whole. Uh, yeah, so. it's very strange. I mean, not making a bowl game. It's not just, oh, we don't get to go to Vegas and have fun or whatever. Yeah. Or go. It's like you miss out on 15 practices. Insert all the jokes that Clay Helton wouldn't practice 15 times anyway, but you missed out on a bunch of practices and meetings and things like that. And for the new staff, like them being able to get integrated a little they sooner. They don't get to look at the film for 15 practices. And they don't get like some cool <laughs> look at the film. Like I, I talk straight to the camera. I got to stop. No, that's perfect. Oh, that's what we want to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you don't get the swag bag, all that, you know, so there's there's a lot the of hair dryer. What do they get? They got hair dryers at the, at the Sun Bowl? There was some weird stuff, yeah. There's some, but there's some cool stuff too. It's sometimes like PlayStation, 4, like uh, game, you know, things like that. I don't know. Any but, final thoughts? Any rapid fire questions? Is anything? Aubrey Solomon coming to USC? Aubrey Probably Sol not. So but wait, tell people who Aubrey Solomon is. Oh, Aubrey Solomon is a former five star from Georgia that USC was involved with, uh, defensive tackle at the end, and uh, Gavin Morris was involved with him too. And uh, Mama was like, love Jim Harbaugh. And he committed to, to, to Michigan really early on in the process and then decommitted. And Georgia was in it. And USC kind of tried to come in at the end. Um, but at the end of the day, Mom just loved Harbaugh and had a great relationship with Harbaugh. And that was one of those situations where people questioned, did Mom just send him to Michigan? 
You know, he maybe wanted to go to Georgia or USC, and obviously it didn't work out for him, and so he has transferred out of uh, Michigan, and we'll see where he goes. I don't think he will end up at USC, but uh, there's potential there because he does have a relationship with some of the, the staff members. Oh. Jerry says, will USC be able to run this year? We also have what happened to Stephen Carr. Yeah, Stephen Carr, he, he didn't look like Stephen Carr. You know, I, I just think his, his gait and his stride were a little different. You could see with back surgery how that might, you know, that might just in terms of how he runs. He was saying that the GPS was, was basically clocking him at the same that he was, and he's just as fast as he was, but he just didn't, he didn't look the same. It's all on the offensive line. I mean, Tim Drevno got put in a rough position because, I mean, if there's real criticism of this class, in the early class specifically, it's that they struck out on too many offensive linemen in a deep year for offensive line, uh, really let Oregon and Washington just kill them on the offensive lines, and then defensive backs. Um, so, you know, with the offensive line, they're going to have guys that are just sort of guys. You know, they're going to have to try to develop some guys. But Tim Drevno, I think he did a really good job, you know, trying to make up some ground. It was just a matter of, you know, how much ground can you make up in that short period of time. And so, you know, they, they I think on the field, they've got to address that. The offensive line's just got to be better and got to be more consistent. You got to be able to snap the ball consistently. You got to be able to do certain little things. And so that, I don't know if we're going to know much from spring ball, you know, if, if, if this offensive line is really going to be better, it's going to be more on the same page. But I do trust in his coaching ability, um, and I think that he knows, and I've said this before, even from an evaluation standpoint when it comes to recruiting, he knows exactly what he wants. He's a very detail-oriented guy. He knows exactly what he wants. So he's not going to be guessing. It's not going to be coach speak. Uh, when people address him, you're going to hear, I think, a more of what's really going on behind the scenes with the offensive line and what he really thinks about what he's got. And so uh, it's going to be a more cerebral approach. It's going to be interesting just to see, though, how it mixes with the air raid offense that what we assume is going to be run by Cliff Kingsbury. We're talking about splits, and there's some differences, you know, between how you would Yeah, he block. hasn't coached an air raid. No, no nothing like it. It's been very Mike block, straight drive blocking. So that's going to be interesting to see how you mesh those two things. You know, USC tried to kind of mesh the spread run with the sort of pro-style offense, the pro-option, jump, jump, what do they call it, gumbo, gumbo. offense. Gumbo. Didn't work so well. No so. more gumbo. Are we doing a hybrid here with, you know, keeping Drevno as the run game coordinator and offensive line coach and bringing in Cliff Kingsbury? Or are you going all in and, and Drevno can just learn that offense? Because that offense would be easier easier to learn than vice versa. Cliff Kingsbury would have a harder time learning the stuff that Drevno was coaching at, you know, uh, like you know, the 49ers, even probably Michigan. Um, Air Raid is actually pretty simple. It's a pretty simple college offense. It's made for 20 hours, you know, a week. So um, I, it wouldn't probably be terribly difficult for Drevno to be able to catch on and how to how to run that offense. It'd be like wider splits and things, but you're I mean you're usually running it with not as talented offensive linemen. So there's some advantages there to doing that. So Everything we'll basically air raid for most teams that we've seen successfully have not had the type of the talent at receiver and quarterback that USC has. I mean most of you look at you know, West Virginia, you look at Washington State most of those schools that run that offense, they run that offense because it kind of marginalizes talent. You're using the field against the defense more than you're actually using just a guy trying to beat other guys. So we'll see. We'll so when you've got we'll good guys, when your X's are bigger and faster and stronger than their O's, and it's well-schemed, what's going to happen? That's what, what people are excited about. I don't know. I don't know that word scheme. <laughs>
guys could actually be open and not just jump over defenders to make catches. And stuff. The only caveat there is that sometimes it doesn't work with more talented players because those talented players are used to out-talenting people. They're not used to the discipline, running great routes, great timing, and relying more on what they're being coached than what they can do physically. So there is that potential that you get these talented guys that go – you know, I'm just used to going up and grabbing the ball. You know, I'm Tyler Vaughn's. I mean, you see my highlight film, you know, and not going, dude, you got to run this five yard out and you got to run it crisp and you got to be there and, and it's timing and this is how it goes. Whereas you get guys that are left talented, that's all they work on. That's what they, they know that they're yeah. not just going to run by people. So they have to use the offense and the good scheme point. to be able to make it work. Good points by Gerard. Yeah, it's probably good. We went over an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Technically, he was only here for that hour, though. But yes. Okay. So. Let's go to, hey, I'm, I'm, we can do it. Fresh. We no. do podcasts. We go. Yeah, we, we haven't do. got a, two, a real two-hour podcast yet, though. Ryan keeps talking like we're gonna go two hours. We're going two hours, and we have not yet. We haven't. What's the What's the longest? Hour and a half? Yeah, probably hour and a half. I do. I do like my podcast of champions is over two hours every week. It's, just it's think if you were, you know, a YouTube streamer or, or a Twitch streamer, man. This is you'd be doing we this are all YouTube, day. We are YouTube. We streamer. are on YouTube right well, now. Yeah. Yeah. Are, yeah. We, sh- we need to get on. Twitch. We had like um, speaking of Twitch, we want someone wanted to know your uh, opinion of Red Dead. Very good. Online is a blit of a cluster. Um, they've got some issues with it online. A little bit of pay to play. Uh, the story, though, and the single player is is fantastic. It's great. It's immersive. Um, I definitely recommend it. But the co-op is still a little shaky. Yeah. We should have a Gerard Gaming podcast. We could do that. We're stream- <laughs> we had a, a, over like 467 like at, at We had time. a strong stream tonight. It was strong. It was, we were was like 460 for like a strong hour. Really? Nice. Yeah. Man, what, so thank you for everyone Watch out, watching. PewDiePie. Sorry watch we, out, PewDiePie. Sorry we didn't uh, million. Get, Here we go. get Facebook uh, rolling tonight for whatever reason. But yeah, it might I, just because we had to start a few minutes late because... Me and Keely were here. I don't know about hey, else. The, the, we were here. <laughs> I was not here. We know. <laughs> I was not here. Alrighty. I apologize to everyone. Sorry. Alrighty. Well, we're glad we had you here. Yeah. You made it. Your debut. I think everyone loved you. People called you the goat. So. The goat. Oh, nice. The goat, Gerard. Yep. He knows, he and knows Chris. Stuff. Chris has been here the whole time, just listening. Poor Chris. Poor Chris. He's exactly where he wants to be, right? Now, <laughs> he probably wants to be home. Well, yeah. If he yeah. had to be anywhere in this room, he'd be. He drove out to Riverside today. Yeah. There's cameras longest. pointing this way and that way, and he's at that way. That's where he would like to be. Oh yeah. I'm yeah. glad he showed me where this place right was though, because I saw your Tesla out there, and I'm going, okay, it's got to be close to that car. And it's not really that close to the car. I mean, it's on the other side of the building. So, right. yeah, I would have been walking around this place for another hour. Yeah, I made the executive call for him to yeah. chauffeur you around. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Gerard. That's Ryan. That's Chris over there. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you guys. Merry Christmas. Next- oh, yeah. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. That's right. Happy yeah. Kwanzaa. We'll be off for a little bit because we actually get a break, a holiday break. Look at that. Um, but, yeah, happy holidays. Thank Merry you for Christmas, watching. Everybody.